Hey, it's Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh my goodness! What? Fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Get ready for comedy. Elmo's horny! Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan, I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. <laughs> and poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius, more well endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now... The one, the only, Adam Bottom. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to The Ass. Today is Sunday, October 8th. We are here in this not-too-hot studio on this lovely October day. With me again is guest co-host Joey DeGrandis. Hey, Welcome, Joey. Thanks, Adam. Always happy to be here. It seems like we were just here together on Sunday, September 24th. I know. It's like a few seconds ago is and, what it seems like. And here we are back again on October 8th. It's like we were <laughs> in a time machine that transported us. 88 miles an hour. Yeah. Joey, how's your October going so far? Awesome. <laughs> Fall in New York. Heart. I love it. I love it. Don't you love the, the mid-seasons in New York are the best? I Spring do love them. Fall. Yes. The Late. Best. Mm. Late summer, early fall is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. um, although the one we just had was a little too hot for yeah. my taste. But yes, early fall and uh, and early spring, when the, the f- best. fucking snow finally melts <laughs> and I can start wearing cute outfits again. Joey, Halloween is coming. What is going to be your uh, <clears throat> costume this year? Have you decided? No. I, th- every single year, I say I'm going to be something great. I'm going to do something awesome. And then October 30th at about 9 p.m., I'm in line at Ricky's. Our mountain is creating a more sustainable What the hell is that? It's why we find oh, What the fuck just happened? One of those ads. Is, are, are those the voices in my head again? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's take that again. Joey, Halloween is coming. Do you know what you're going to be yet? <laughs> I do this every year, Adam. I always say I'm going to do something amazing and great and awesome. And then October 30th comes and it's 9 p.m. and I'm in line at Ricky's, you know, around the corner. Yes. I, I, I want to be maybe a golden girl because my office is doing a theme and we're, uh, the theme is TV show characters. So I yes. might do that. Well, how about you? Well, what do you, you think? Joe, you and I are both members of the New York City Gay Men's yes. Chorus. And yes. actually, we have a theme this year to our new members party, which happens on Halloween weekend. And the theme is um, uh, group costumes. Yes. Actually, it's not Halloween weekend, right? It's, it's It already happened. <laughs> In real life. <laughs> uh, anyway, you're supposed to go as a group. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking I would go with a group of... Um, Men over 40 who are perpetually thirsty. Okay. That would be my group. I'm interested to see how you depict that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm the same as you. I, I, I always want to be something creative and great. The fact is I have no, I don't have those skills. I can't sew. Yeah. I'm not creative visually. I don't know how to like create a costume. So either I end up spending a lot of money on some stupid costume I'm only going to wear once. Yeah. Or I just go as like. A slutty gay man. We're gonna have to tap into the resources of the chorus, though. A lot of those, a lot of those queens. We have really tremendously creative people yeah. in the chorus, and, yeah. and you know that's that just adds to the pressure. Um, 
Joey, I want to talk to you today. Oh, first we should say who's coming up on the show. Our guest today is Adam Feldman, theater critic for Time Out New York. And he's going to be talking about the best fall shows to see on Broadway and beyond. So I know most of our listeners don't live in New York, but they do come here frequently on theater trips because they're gay, (laughs) as Jorge Olivares says, because he's gay. Um, and so Adam is going to tell you uh, what to look out for, which shows are worth the money, because there is a lot of money mm. involved in buying those tickets. Um, and he'll also thrill us with his sexy, bushy mustache, <laughs> for which he is well known. Um, but first I want to talk about this, Joey. This article caught my eye. I actually found this on AOL.com, <laughs> which still exists. My mom has an AOL email address. <laughs> still. Well, I do too, but I only for I, I use my AOL address for shopping. Okay. And for like signing up for political action committees, things that I expect to get a lot of spam for, I use, still use my original AOL account from the 90s. What's your screen name? It's um, barebackbottom69 <laughs> at AOL.com. No, don't start sending emails to, the, to whatever poor sex pig owns that. That is not my email address. But, um, but this article on AOL.com caught my mind because it's the eight myths about hygiene that are totally bogus. These are eight things that we think are true when it comes to personal hygiene, but they're not. And I, you know, I'm a fanatic about personal hygiene, Joey. Mm-hmm. As we talked about the last time you were here, I will not put my tongue near an ass unless it is not only shaved, but freshly showered. Mm. Perhaps dabbed with a little moisturizer. A little moisturizer, and then I'm good to go. Mm. Anyway, myth number one, the myth is that you need to shower every day. Hmm. According to AOL.com, who interviewed these two um, germ experts, they said, no, it's not necessary unless you have a job or a hobby that has you sweating profusely and getting really dirty every day. For instance, (laughs) if you host a radio show on a 90 degree day in a studio that doesn't have air conditioning, you might want to shower. Shade. (laughs) Yes, Derek. But the truth is our bodies are covered in microbes. Uh, and uh, if the microbes get too concentrated, that's when we start to stink and we run the risk of acne and dandruff and other gross things. Um, so you should shower at least once every few days to keep those bacterial levels low enough to, pre- to prevent stinking. Interesting. It's counterintuitive almost, right? You, you just well, think you're supposed to shower every we day. We in the Western world who have access to hot running water, mm-hmm. just even the poorest of the poor in America, grow, usually we grow up with hot showers. Mm. We just shower every day, and our moms tell us we have to, yeah. and we should. And this is what we do. But all you're really doing is drying your skin out and wasting water. Mm. Um, and I have to say, there, I don't shower, I, I mean, I shower 90% of the days, so let's put it that way. But every once in a while, if it's a weekend day, yeah, I wake up late, Yep. put my clothes on, walk the dog. Sometimes the end of the day comes, I go to bed, I go, hey, I didn't shower today. Yeah, same. I'm a sweater, though. Like, for people like me that are always sweating, I feel like uh, we, we like to shower. Probably a good can. idea yeah. to shower. I agree with you. I am a sweater mm-hmm. also, but in my living conditions right now, it prevents me from taking a shower as every day because I live in a home with other people. That's mm-hmm. JB, by the way. It's terrible. Listeners, oh, yes. Yeah, hi, I'm JB. So, um, just terrible with other people. And don't get to take showers every day like mm-hmm. uh, most of the shower is like probably once twice a week at my boyfriend's wow house. Hmm. yeah and do you feel yourself getting stinky do you um s- i'm i'm a clean freak I, I again like you said to shower every day and that's how i felt normal and i like to keep my booty hole clean too because you know never roll surprise sex <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. so for me not taking a shower every day i feel kind of 
look grimy. Like nothing's nothing bad has happened. Hmm. So just like self-consciously, it's just me per, on a personal right. level. But sure. you're right. living proof that it's that not this, necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Myth number two, public toilet seats are hazardous to your health. This, uh, this is something a lot of women worry about. Uh, a lot of women will not actually sit their ass down on a toilet seat when they pee. Because, you know, women have to sit to pee. Yeah. We don't have to. So they'll just, we like, don't? squat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do, Joey. Um, but uh, th- this microbiologist I interviewed says that to- toilet seats are always coated with germs, whether they're in your house or whether they're in public. That makes sense. Yeah. And those germs, by and large, will not cause you any harm as long as, here's the key, you don't have any open cuts or sores. Also, the expert says, quote, just don't lick them. <laughs> because that's something we were going to do. You mean lick the toilet seat? Don't lick the toilet seat, as many of the bacteria present could cause gastrointestinal troubles. Or at least put the toilet paper down on the seat before you lick Yes. It. Myth number three, uh, my friends on Fire Island listening to this show will be very interested about this. Myth number three is that hot tubs are full of harmful bacteria. Uh, many people, because of the famous Seinfeld episode where he referred to hot tubs as a bacteria frappe, um, they're thought of as being really contaminated, but most uh, most of the germs are harmless. They're of the environmental variety. Um, there are some that can be troublesome, such as MRSA, E. coli, and uh, Legionella pneumophila, which causes Legionnaire's disease. But as long as the hot tub is cleaned regularly and it is chlorinated, mm-hmm. you should uh, be good to go. Um, no, myth number four is that antibacterial products are best for health, household cleaning. Now, this one, I I don't care how many times they tell me not to use antibacterial products. I'm going to fucking use them. Yeah. They make me feel good. Like wipes and stuff, right? That's what you're thinking about? Even like when you have like, um, you know, when they sell Clorox wipes mm-hmm. or Clorox spray and it says amp- antibacterial on it. Um Again, the microbiologist they interviewed says that these products can often contain something called triclosan, which is not particularly effective at killing bacterial, and it may even be an environmental toxin. Mm. Disinfectants like bleach work better, but there are also more eco-friendly solutions like uh, products that contain hydrogen peroxide. Myth number five is that hand sanitizer removes all bacteria. It does not. It does not. What they actually do is reduce the bacterial loads Mm. (laughs) in our hands. Um, That's right. (laughs) Bacteria is all over your skin all the time, says the microbiologist. Sanitizers made of more than 60% alcohol do pretty well. Uh, But again, they can contain triclosan, which was recently banned. Uh, for these antibacterial soaps and body washes. Scientists say soap and water is still the best way to wash your hands, especially if your hands are visibly dirty, Mm. like they've got shit on them, or you've handled chemicals like pesticides. Myth number six, this one bummed me out. Myth number six is that washing cuts in ocean water will help them heal. Because of the salt. salt. I always believed that. Mm. And I feel like when I go swimming, when I have like a scab or something, I feel real real good about that but no uh regular saline solution is better than ocean water um, because the ocean water can contain microbes that actually interfere with the healing process 
Um, just take a sterile saline solution and wash your cuts with those. Or just don't get cut is even better <laughs> advice. Try to not get cut. Number seven, I want to talk a lot about because I this is my uh, personal crusade. I've been talking about this for years. Deodorant is healthier for you than antiperspirant. False! You have been saying this. People believe that... They know that antiperspirants are bad for you, but they think deodorants are good because they don't contain those same chemicals. The fact is, you don't need any deodorant or antiperspirant. No one needs it. Didn't you t Rubbing alcohol. Rubbing alcohol yeah. and cotton balls. Uh -huh. It's what I've been using for over a decade. I don't stink. You get no problem. I yeah. never stink. My armpits are clean. My pores are unclogged. The idea that you're going to keep clogging your pores every day with some thick substance... Mm. And think that that's going to make you cleaner is just ridiculous. Yeah. So what this is saying is that deodorant is just as bad for you as antiperspirant. They all contain those chemicals. Um, here's what you do. Get in the shower. Soap up with hot water and soap. When you get out, you swab a cotton ball with some 90% solution rubbing alcohol. You swab both pits. You throw the cotton ball out. Your pits dry in like 10 seconds. You won't stink for the rest of the day, for at least 24 hours. Even if you sweat, you're not going to stink. What makes you st uh, stink is not the sweat, it's the bacteria. And you're getting rid of the bacteria when you do the rubbing alcohol. Try this, everyone. I promise you it will change your life. And finally, myth number eight, I want to take a poll of the room. How often does everyone in this room change their sheets? Joey DeGrandis, be honest. <laughs> Not often enough, probably. Like, maybe once every five to six weeks. Like, once every oh month. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Is that gross? That's gross. <laughs> JB, you mentioned you're in a group home situation, so you may not right. have... So, I'm going to talk about where I used to live. Turn yourself up. All right, I'm going to talk about where I used to live in the, in the, in the house. Yes. And have a bed. Yes. Uh, I, I did change my sheets. Like, summer times, it was twice a month. And winter times, it would be once a month. Because uh, I would sweat a lot more at night. Katie? I'm once a month. Wow. Your sheets let you know. You know, if, if you've been sweating in your bed or been sexing it up, they get loose. You guys yeah. are but, filthy pigs. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, once a month. Okay, so I was raised in a home where we changed our sheets every week. And apparently, that is what you should be doing. It is a myth that you should only change your bed sheets every month or so. Uh, the microbiologist says each and every hour that you're in bed, you're shedding millions of germs that grow with sweat, oil, dirt, and other organic chemicals. The majority of these are harmless, but some can cause rashes, irritations, and acne, or even worse, bacne. Uh, dust mites also feed off that bacteria. So to help keep those critters out of your sheets, you should change your sheets weekly and use hot water to kill off the bacteria. And if you shower before bed, uh, they say you might be able to go a little bit longer before the stink sets in. But God damn it, change those sheets every week, you pigs. But I don't think it's a myth. That I didn't like. I was never told to do it. It's just being lazy and having the laundromat three blocks away that I'm like. Mm. Well, here's another question. How many, how many sets of sheets do you guys own? Because most men, according to this article, only have one set of sheets. Most single men. Mm. I got like six sets of sheets. <laughs> I'm a sheet three. queen. I have a few, yeah. Just a few, yeah. though. I love sheets. And every time I'm at a street fair, we have these street fairs in New York City where they shut down the whole avenue. And they sell like 1,000 thread count sheets for nineteen ninety nine for a whole set. Wow. And I buy them every time. You hear about the guy that went to a hotel? The, uh, the woman asked, how many sheets would you like in your bed, sir? And he said, you sheet on my bed, I'll kill you. 
Hey, hey, do you have a do you have a rim shot, <laughs> JB, I to do. play for that? I do. <laughs> Delayed rim shot. All right, so those are the myths. Those are the myths about. Oh, thank you. So those are the myths about hygiene. Joey's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, moving on to another story. Do you know where Brigham Young University is, Joey? In Utah, is it? I believe. Yes, right? and do you know what it's for? Uh, the those crazy Mormons. That's right. Well, we don't want to call them Not crazy. crazy. Yeah. Um, those 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 devout spirited Mormons members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints at BYU at Brigham Young. The students are now allowed to do something that they couldn't do before, and it's not butt fucking. <laughs> they can now drink caffeinated soda hmm. on campus. It was banned before. Yes, at hmm. the urging of students, the Mormon-based college uh, finally lifted its decade-long moratorium on caffeinated soft drinks this past Thursday. And now campus restaurants, vending machines, stores, and dining halls can offer the sweet buzz of caffeine-filled sodas. Oh. The change also includes sports facilities, meaning that the BYU Cougar fans will be able to buy a Coke at their next football game. Well, this was because of well. So the here's religion, the thing in or? in the Book of Mormon, there's a specific uh, ban on hot liquids. You're not allowed to drink coffee or tea. Oh, I didn't know that. And m- many Mormons have uh, understood this to mean no caffeine whatsoever. I've always felt like if I were a Mormon, I'd be like, all right, I'll just have iced coffee and iced tea. <laughs> yeah, the loophole and soda because it's they, 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 the Book of Mormon doesn't say anything about caffeine. It's just specifically a prescription. Uh, is that the word F- for a hot beverage? No, for some, what's the word <laughs> when something's um, banned? Not a prescription. Like a, a, a like a decree. I <laughs> uh, can't think of it. I'll think of it later. But yes, yeah. on hot drinks. But uh, and apparently, finally, BYU has come around. They a still restriction? want. Mm, it's mm. stronger than a restriction, okay. a prohibition, let's say. Okay. But, uh, but, <laughs> but, so they still won't serve coffee or tea, but they will allow students to drink soda, and students are going ape shit over it. Like social media, all <laughs> these Mormon students are posing with a Coke, <laughs> and they're like, yes! And they're so fucking, I mean, it's like they were just given, you know, the key to the kingdom. Like, like suddenly crack was or legalized. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it is like cocaine to them. Um, wow. The Mormon Church founded the school, uh, and they appeared to give the go-ahead to caffeinated soda in 2012. This is the church itself. Um, however, uh, they do still prohibit co- hot drinks, as I said, coffee and tea. The no-caffeinated soft drink policy was developed at BYU in the mid-50s, um, and uh, the school claims that originally there wasn't a much interest in those drinks. Mm. But now we're in such a soda-crazed world. Yeah. Meanwhile, soda is poison. Nobody should be drinking it. You're just yeah. basically just drinking sugar, water, and chemicals. Hmm. I wonder why they ban uh, just the Mormon faith. I wonder why they no hot beverages. Well, you know. know, it's based on the tablets that Joseph Smith uh, received from God, hmm. according to the religion. And one of the many things that God said was, don't drink hot drinks. Hmm. There's a lot of wacky shit Interesting. In, the, in the Mormon religion. Hmm. And they also remain one of the most homophobic churches, um, although there has been a bit of a loosening over the years, and they're now saying, like, oh, you know, we welcome gay people, just don't have sex. Mm, right. Think about it. Fantasize about it, but don't do don't it. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't suck that dick. <laughs> Speaking of which, should we be calling people who have HIV and are undetectable, untransmittable? 
Mm. Should we change the nomenclature? Like I'm HIV positive and I'm undetectable, but am I also untransmittable? Mm. Over the past year, hundreds have joined in a chorus uh, demanding that that this be changed. Uh, this is called the undetectable equals untransmittable consensus statement mm -hmm. issued by the Prevention Access Campaign. Um, in basically every study that they've done of uh, people who are on PrEP, where there's a serodiscordant couple, one member of the couple is positive, the other one's negative, they never use condoms. Um, they've studied 58,000 of those sex acts and they haven't had a single incidence of transmission. Hmm. Not one. So, basically, experts are saying there is zero chance of transmission, not just when someone's on PrEP, but when the positive person's viral load is undetectable. Mm -hmm. um, quote, the fear of catching HIV from a sexual partner fuels HIV stigma, which is why it's important that the undetectable equals untransmittable message is heard and understood. I'm just going to say, yeah, changing it would certainly reduce that societal stigma a little, I think. I mean, I say this to people all the time. When I meet a, a, a possible sex partner, mm -hmm. let's say on the street or in the dark corner of a bar, <laughs> uh, if they don't already know what undetectable means, which most of them do, I'll say, yeah, that basically means that I, you can't get HIV from me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it means. Sure. It's truth. Yep. And so maybe if we start using that word instead of saying undetectable, if we say untransmittable, we erase the stigma. Yeah. This dovetails with a story about our favorite bisexual pop singer, Aaron Carter. Aaron Carter comes up on this show more than you could ever imagine. <laughs> it's very strange. I don't understand it myself. Is it, is it sad that I did not really know that Aaron Carter was bisexual? It is sad because it was quite a splash when he came out uh, several, uh, I guess it was several months ago. So it was just fairly recently. It was, fair, it was right after he got busted for driving under the influence. Oh. And he gave some interviews and he looked real bad. Okay. Um, wow. He came out as bi, and then he did a gig at a gay club in um, in Florida, like a Hamburger Mary's, which mm -hmm. is like a gay restaurant. Well, now he has uh, been tested for HIV on television on the September 14th episode of The Doctors, and he actually got his HIV results on the television show. Let's hear how that went. Your HIV test is negative. Oh my God. However, listen up here. This I'm, is really important. You may be negative, but your system is still so weak that it can't fight off. You know, a yeast infection. Sorry, my part is just like, so, you guys no, gotta no, understand out yeah, there, no, like take, this is like, no, I know this is oh, kind of like, uh, it's giving me anxiety, okay? So my heart is racing. I, I, I did not take any medications before I came here. It happened in actually a couple of days because I wanted to try to wean myself off of this, you know? And I have to say, I mean, first of all, like, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you so He's much. Hugging I mean, hugging I was so scared and so, so you're telling me I, I'm HIV negative. Absolutely HIV negative. And not one thing where you have to wait for six months. This is a test that within four days after we did it or before, it's called the fourth generation test, you're negative. From I mean, the day you, you tested for a whole battery of we, sexually transmitted actually, infections. Actually, chlamydia and negative, gonorrhea negative, syphilis negative. So you've dodged some You're bullets. A clean, yeah. <sighs> a clean team. Which, which and, is such and, a huge blessing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't even know what to say. Uh, what I would like to say is that uh, this show, I, I know that it's a TV show, but what I've learned from being on, on this show 
is that this isn't just a TV show. But the thing is, he looks like death. Did he he looks th- so bad. What made him, I guess, I, I'm unfamiliar with the backstory. Why did he believe that he had HIV? Well, it's not clear, but I think the idea that he was bisexual and clearly he's, have, he's had some kind of struggle with uh, drugs and or alcohol. Mm. Um, presumably he made some less than smart choices. Mm-hmm. But what, what we didn't hear them say, they went on in the show, the doctor said to him, in my opinion, you're not healthy right now. I think your body is hanging on by a thread. You are malnourished and your body mass index at 17 is a scary range. I don't know what's going on with Aaron Carter. I don't want to slander him. I don't want to, you know, cast any aspersions. He looks to me like someone who's a math addict. Mm. He looks real bad. And they were trying to tell him that. You could even hear in the beginning of that soundbite. They were like, listen, you're not, you know, you're still at risk. And he was just like, woohoo! I'm HIV negative. <laughs> he was fo- like fixating on that one. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. He's 35 pounds underweight for a man of his height. Ooh. Uh, it, it's been a crazy few months for the singer. In May, his father, Bob Carter, died suddenly. Uh, weeks later, he was arrested for driving under the influence in Georgia. In August, he came out as bisexual. And uh, he said that finally opening up about his sexuality does not bring me shame. Good for him. As I've said before, I just hope this kid gets whatever help he needs. I'm glad that he's yeah. negative, but he doesn't look great. Hmm. Someone who does look great and who's also bisexual is Andy Mientis or Mintis or Mintis. Do you know who that is? Well, he was in Smash and Spring Awakening. How did you know that, Joey? <laughs> yes, he was. If you remember on Smash, towards the end of the series, um, there was that incredibly hot guy. Uh, Jeremy Jordan, mm. who played the uh, composer of the musical within the musical mm-hmm. that they were doing. What was mm-hmm. that fucking called? Not the Marilyn Monroe one, but the other one. Yeah. it's The name escapes me, but I know what you're talking and about. And so he had a collaborator on the show who was this gay guy who was like secretly in love with him. And that guy was Andy Mientis. Mm. Who did he play in Spring Awakening? In Spring Awakening, I don't know. Okay. I think he was in that revival with, where half the actors were deaf. Mm. But he is bisexual. And uh, in an Instagram post, he showed a page from an old journal where he wrote about his sexuality, quote, nor am I going to say I'm bi because any guy that admits to that publicly becomes an instant closet case. And now he says, when I think of that kid, meaning himself, um, when you never see something represented other than as a punchline, you don't think it's valid. When your straight friends roll your eyes at it and your gay friends roll your, their eyes at it, you avert your eyes at least. That's so true. He says he's made it through these dark days. He's living openly, happily married to actor-director Michael Arden and wearing his bisexual pride on his sleeve. Hmm. There's a lot of bisexuality happening, Joey. <laughs> I, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> um, JB? I, I was just uh, talking to my boyfriend about this. I was like, there's a lot of bisexuals coming out. You you guys should feel so happy. I remember the times I would just roll my eyes every time someone would say, I'm bisexual. <laughs> what you mean says you're a closet homosexual. Yeah. But now, being who I am, I realize that bisexuals also have their own kind of lines yeah. and stuff. Well, there, there's an unfortunate double standard, I think. Or there yeah. was, historically, because growing up, I knew some women... Or at least it seemed culturally, women could easily say, "I'm bisexual," and no one okay. would bat an eye. Oh yeah, right. But it, to your point, both of you, like, yeah, saying identifying as bisexual as a male 
the, the cliche that comes up to me is, or, or the phrase, which is kind of funny but also terrible, is "buy now, gay later." <laughs> <laughs> but but you, what you said is true. Like I, I that was my story. I identified first as bisexual before uh, later identifying as gay. But for how long? Um, a number, like a chunk of years there wow. uh, in my early twenties. But I, for me, I, this is just my personal story. It was only because I couldn't face the fact for me that I w- was gay or like I couldn't bring myself to say it and admit it. Right. Uh, like I had a bisexual summer. <laughs> it didn't last <laughs> then, long. Yeah. Listen, I'm all in favor of people coming out as bisexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I believe bisexuality exists. Yep. Please. My only cynicism oh. is that. Almost, with the exception of Aaron Carter, almost every one of these bisexual guys seems to have a boyfriend and not a girlfriend. Mm. Now, that's their right. Yeah. And I guess they're just as likely to wind up with a guy as a girl. Yeah. You, well, you could argue almost whatever, and this is where you get into like the semantics of it, you could argue whoever you end up with. That's right. your, you know, like he's with a guy, so he's but it's probably... Impor- but it's important to their identity, and yeah. I get that. Yeah. And, um, that's what you have to respect. For sure. Yeah, it's kind of difficult being with my boyfriend because I won't respect his thing of him liking females, but I don't want him to just go fuck a random bitch. Is I, he? No. Let's I, not I, call I, women bitches, I, JB. Well, the, I don't mean like bitches as in. So that's why I refer Except to. Except for Ann Coulter, who is. Well, yeah, she, no, she's a cut. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a cut. <laughs> Normally, I I would I say that yeah, be, like take it easy, but that I agree. Ann Coulter, Ann Coulter. everything's off the table uh, with her. Jeez. Yeah, but but does your boyfriend um, regularly? Uh, he checks out women, but he like he doesn't. No, we're we're, we're strictly to. It's just me and him. He just checks them out. But if he ever wants to, I'm open to have a conversation about it. Yeah, because like I feel like that's me denying a part of him. When I sure. was dating guys, like when I was identifying as bisexual, I got a lot of shade. Like when I when shade. I yeah <laughs> when I when I admitted that it was a turnoff for at least one or more of these. To guys. me, it's a turn on. It really yeah. If well, a guy t- especially if he seems like a straight guy and he's like, "Well, actually, I'm bi." I'm like, mm. "That's oh, a turn on. Yeah, that's yeah. a turn on for me too." I like now. it. It's yeah. Sexy. But for at least one guy, it was like they looked at me like, "Get your shit together." Well, you know? yeah. Like, we we tend to we tend to doubt that they're telling the truth, and that's what um, what's his face is saying. Yeah. Listen, you guys, our guest is here, but before we introduce him, we have to do this story because it's been on the docket for like a month now, and JB is very disappointed that we haven't gotten to it yet. It's a very important story out of Williston, Vermont. The headline is Panda Burglar. <laughs> a Vermont police department is asking for help identifying a suspect wearing a panda costume, Aww. believed to have uh, who who is believed to have stolen an airsoft rifle from a sporting goods store. Williston police say the costumed suspect walked into Dick's Sporting Goods <laughs> Dick's, <laughs> at 8.20 p.m. on a Monday, picked up the airsoft rifle and ran out of the store <laughs> in the panda costume without paying for it. Police responded, but they were unable to locate the suspect because, you know, there are a lot of people walking around dressed like pandas in Williston, Vermont. He's, you know what? He's throwing us off the scent. You have to... Re- have to Get to the all the bears in town. <laughs> Go to the bear, the all, local all bear bar. All the bears. Yep. Store employees told the police the sus- suspect had been in the store earlier Monday, sans panda outfit, and looked at the same rifle, but left without buying it. He told employees he'd be back to buy it, and he was <laughs> dressed in a panda costume. Airsoft firearms shoot pellets and are usually powered by springs or compressed air. Um, I did do a check to see if there had been any update on this story, but no, no suspect was ever caught. So if you see someone dressed as a panda carrying a pellet gun in the Vermont area, you should call local police. I, 
I hope whoever, I hope this panda, whoever he is, is smart enough not to wear the costume while using the gun. Right. He, well, apparently, you know, he, he he's into cosplay, and he's got a whole closet of different animals mm. to commit different crimes. Oh, so, that's not cosplay. That's furries. Those are furries. If it's cosplays of animals, those are furries. <laughs> those those are definitely furries. They're not. They're not. Of, yes, of there are these animals. furries who like to um, hump each other while in costume. Oh, yeah. And speaking of which, it's time to welcome our guest. <laughs> he, our guest who is wearing a panda costume for some reason is a charming. Put that gun down. He's a charming <laughs> and dashing man about town who also happens to be the theater critic for Time Out New York. Uh, and he has written an article entitled The Best Fall Shows to See on Broadway and Beyond. Please welcome to the ass Adam Feldman. Hello. Come on, Adam. Oh, the studio audience. Oh, my God, they're going crazy. crazy. The studio audience loves me. I just want to say up front that I can account for my panda costume during that entire period of time. So whatever anyone is saying. Safely in your dungeon (laughs) where it belongs. I don't have to answer those questions. Adam, uh, please help yourself to the box wine behind you. Thank you. I will. For visitors as well as staff. It is very warm in this studio. Uh, it is warm in the studio, but not as bad as it has been or could be. But you're welcome to take off your shirt. Adam is wearing a Kiki and Herb shirt. I am. One of my favorite duos of all time. Um, before we go into the shows that people need to see on Broadway this fall, what did you? What was your reaction to the Emmy telecast? What did you think? The Emmy telecast? Well, I... I you know, I haven't been watching a lot of those shows, so I didn't have many horses in the race this year, I have to be honest. Uh, my favorite moment, and it, it, it was funny because uh, I've been obsessed with an actress named Jackie Hoffman for some years. Love Jackie. Uh, for maybe 17 years since I saw her in this Tweed show, this, this uh, show by this group called Tweed. It was like a women in prison fundraiser. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and she was fabulously funny in it and she's gone on to steen ceiling roles in hairspray and other shows uh but you know i've been carrying a torch for her for many years and so finally after all this time my uh tendency to just watch jackie no matter who else is on screen or on stage finally paid off because she had a hilarious reaction she was nominated for an emmy this year for her work in the miniseries feud as mamacita Mamacita. yes uh and she lost to laura dern and she did a hilarious angry bit (laughs) reaction shot damn it right instead of doing the gracious winner (laughs) she was like what what damn it and by the way i had the same reaction because (laughs) i'm a huge jackie hoffman fan i've been a fan of hers ever since Kissing Jessica Stein. Yeah, she's the best thing in she's that fabulous. movie. She's fabulous on Difficult People right now. If you ever watch that TV show on Hulu with the, Billy Eichner, yeah, with Billy Eichner and Julie Cosner. Um, anyway, she's she's tremendous, and uh, I thought it was hilarious. So I went to my screen and I I took a little video of it and I put it on the internet and it ended up going internationally viral. Yes, it was in the Times, yes. it was in the Post, it was in the Guardian, you know, and people around the world. I think a lot of them didn't know that she was doing a bit, like aren't familiar with. Right, her. they just thought she was a crazy bitch. Yeah. But they also kind of loved it. Like half of them were just like, "How dare she?" And half of them were like, "You are my spirit animal, Jackie Hoffman." Right. <laughs> um, and so it was it was kind of great. Uh, but that's what she does. Like she she uses bitterness like. Michelangelo uses marble, you know. Like right, it's, it's kind heart. of her shtick. Yeah, so well, uh, it was a great moment for her and for the world. You've been viral for years, and I'm <laughs> glad that your post is as well. Adam, um, there's a big Broadway season coming, as you have written about in Time Out New York, and uh, one show I keep seeing advertised all over the city is A Clockwork Orange, uh, which, of course, is based on the uh, Stanley, is Stanley Kubrick? No, or it's Anthony Burgess. 
Uh, Stanley Kubrick did the movie. Yes, but it's based version. on that film, correct? But yes. Well, it's based on the. Well, Burgess wrote the novel in 1962, ah. and then Kubrick did this uh, acclaimed and controversial film version in 1970. Trippy fucking movie. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but that, at the time, you know, it's funny because we're so used to this ultra gore nowadays that the, the horror factor of Clockwork Orange in 1972 is a little bit hard to understand. But you read the reviews from that time, and they were genuinely shocked at the degree of violence and at the stylization of violence in the mm. movie. And it was very controversial. Pauline Kael wrote a great I'm angry just going to shove this microphone in your face a little oh, bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to hear you better. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Don't want to miss a word of this. I feel a little intimidated now. As well you should be. It's so big. It's big and thick. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yes, controversial material. And Burgess himself did a uh, stage adaptation of the material. And this is now a new theater version of his adaptation. So it was in London in this kind of, I believe, in this kind of pub theater environment uh, a few years ago, and now they've transferred that production to New World Stages, where it is opening this week. And I'm thinking Disney did not produce this. Disney this did not produce this. It's <laughs> a, it, it's, the, the thing about this production is that it is full of attractive and fit young men. It's mm. an all-male cast. I love uh, that. My understanding is a lot of it is performed shirtlessly. Yes. For people who find that appealing. I'm in I favor of that. I think that the problem, though, again, as people were divided about the Kubrick film, I think that there are going to be people who love the stylish homoeroticism of this production, and there will be people who probably think that it's a morally glib take on some very violent material. So it'll be interesting to see what the critical reaction is for this. Absolutely. Hmm. I definitely want to see it. Uh, one play that is, there's a number of revivals that caught my eye because I'm old enough to have either, either <laughs> seen the original or, you know, in some cases performed in them in college. Torch Song Trilogy is one of these. Yes. I was very thrilled to see that Torch Song is coming back to Broadway. I'm thrilled too. And, you know, it's not coming back to Broadway. It's off Broadway. Uh, it's at Second Stage, I believe. And it's... Um, it's near Broadway. It's near Broadway. It's in the Broadway area. <laughs> Broadway proper. Uh but, you know, this Torch Song is another one that's kind of a little hard to uh, contextualize these days because in 1982, when it was on Broadway, it's Harvey Firestein wrote it. It's the thing that made Harvey Firestein a star. He wow. wrote it and he uh, starred in it and he won Tonys for both of those things. Hmm. Uh, and it was uh, in three parts at that time, so it was called Torch Song Trilogy. It's now been sort of reconceived in a different structure, so they're just calling it Torch Song. Just Torch Song. Yeah, it's just Torch Song now. Um, but it's been 35 years, and the world has changed a lot. But uh, what's, I think, surprising about the script, I, I watched the movie again recently, and what's surprising about it is, is how much of it remains relevant. Because for a while, it was eclipsed by the AIDS epidemic. Yes. Because mm. it's pre-AIDS. And so for a while, the fact that it wasn't about AIDS made it seem a little dated, in a way. Uh, because its concerns were so separate from what was the main concern for gay right, people. Right, right. The main the concern was, you know, whether you're in the closet or out of the closet. Right, it was and it was violence, the struggle. closetedness and, and self-discovery and violence against uh, gay people. But it wasn't about the AIDS epidemic. And, uh, and now that the AIDS epidemic has kind of receded in the popular imagination, not necessarily in the real world entirely, but in the, certainly in the popular imagination, uh, the, the play is ready again to be seen, uh, I think, in its full flower and michael yuri who is playing the harvey part amazing uh is just one of those actors that you, you can't help loving I, for me he's just a sort of preternaturally charming and wonderful yeah so, i'd see him in anything yeah I, so i was in torch song my senior year of college at the university of michigan we did this little basement production of it and uh, i played arnold 
And I remember specifically, because this was 1992, 93, I remember we changed one of the lines. When, when Arnold is, there's a little monologue in the beginning where he talks about all of the terrible experiences he's had with different men. And one of them, he says, is, or if they're terminally ill. Mm. And we thought, okay, well, in 1992, that doesn't really work. Doesn't because mean the same thing. people are dying of AIDS and it's not funny. Like, mm. it was a laugh line originally. Right. So we changed it to terminally straight. <laughs> and it well, is the, the, interesting now, however many years later, that again, AIDS is not the primary concern right. for but, the gay community. And again, you know, not to say that it's, I, I recently lost uh, an old friend uh, to AIDS, which was a big surprise. Michael Friedman. Michael Friedman. We, yeah. we actually discussed that uh, on, on a recent show. Well, you know, I, 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 I'd known Michael since college. I mean, in addition to the fact that he was an enormously talented composer and it's a huge artistic loss to the world. It really, really is. Uh, but also, uh, just the fact, you know, to read the sentence, he died of complications from HIV AIDS, it feels like a time warp. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you saw that, it was, it sort of made me gasp when I saw it. I think all of us. Um, and, uh, but it, it is still a problem. And I think the fact in a way that I don't want to bring the telecast down, yeah. <laughs> but it, like the fact in a way that, that we've gotten so inured to, uh, to HIV as a livable condition, which it is, which it absolutely is. But the fact that, that we've gotten so comfortable with it, I think has led in some cases to people not taking care of themselves in a, you know, as well as they could not getting tested as, uh, you know, it's just not on their, uh, we, it's not on the horizon. We've been spoiled by our own success mm. in, yeah, this, in yeah. this area. But now we have to, there's been a bit of an overcorrection maybe, and we have to be more alert to our health and, and welfare. And Do you know if Torch Song is going to be set when it originally was set, or are they going to sort of pretend like this is you happening? You know, I don't know, today? but I, I have to imagine it is, but I don't, I don't actually know that. So, but one thing that I am very excited about also is the secondary casting, because in the role of his mother who was played in the movie by Anne Bancroft and on stage by Estelle Getty. Yes, yes. the great Estelle Getty. Uh, th- it will be Mercedes Rule. Uh, ah, love, is love her. Terrific. I love that she's now getting cast in like older mother roles too. <laughs> you know? But she's a, she's a real actor, so that's going to be fun to watch. I haven't seen her on stage since uh, The Goat or yeah. Who is Sylvia. Uh-huh. In which the, she was amazing. For Go the ahead, younger Joey. millennials, I just I want to I wanna say that I, Anne Bancroft, I believe, is Mrs. Robinson. Yes, she is. Yes. <laughs> yes. <She was>. Correct. <laughs> and Mrs. Mel Brooks. That is Why would the I younger millennials <laughs> be more familiar with the graduate? <laughs> millennials than love the George. graduate. I'm saying for, for the younger <laughs> listeners, perhaps that's the, she is the classic yeah. Mrs. Robinson. Yes, Anne Bancroft uh, was married to Mel Brooks for many, many years. Fabulous actress, yes. the miracle worker, mother the graduate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in the film version of Torch Song... Um, which wasn't as good as the play, but was still very good. Mm-hmm. Um, another sort of LGBT classic, if you will, that's coming back to Broadway, and this is one where I did see the original production with my family when I was a teenager. <laughs> when you were a child. I'm, I'm still you're very young, Adam. Is M. Butterfly. Yes. I actually, that was one of the first plays that I ever saw on Broadway, too. I saw it as a teenager. Uh, and uh, it rocked my world. Cause Me I was, too. I was still in the closet, and uh, it was just, I didn't know what to make of it, but it's a fascinating story. Tell uh, the story for listeners who aren't familiar with M. Well, uh, it's by David Henry Wong, and it's uh, from 1988, and it, it's based on um, a true story, inspired by a true story, mm-hmm. of a French diplomat in China who falls in love with a Peking opera star. Uh, not knowing that all of the roles in Chinese opera are played by men uh, and believing her 
to be a biological woman, uh, at least as far as we know. Yes. So there's this sort of fascination, and what what what, and so Wong uses this. Uh, set up to examine all sorts of preconceptions about gender and about relationships between the East and the West. Yes, it's very political yeah. as well as being uh, about sexual identity. Yeah, and also, you know, it's, it's full of beautiful stagecraft. It was in the original, and I can only imagine it will be now because the director is Julie Tamor, <sighs> who directed The Lion King and, uh, mm. you know, uh, Titus Andronicus and all these sort of very fanciful, imaginative uh, creations of hers. And so I think that she'll bring a really interesting creative sensibility to it. And I, I know that the script has been updated to reflect some things that are known now about the original case that were not necessarily as clear in the 80s. You know, growing up in New Jersey, I saw, I was very privileged. I got to see Broadway theater a lot growing up. And there are certain plays and musicals that really stayed with me and where I can remember everything about the production. And this is one of them. This was uh, John Lithgow mm -hmm. and a very young B.D. Wong. Yeah. Yeah. And and they, his name was B. He was credited as B. D. Wong instead of as Bradley Wong, because they wanted to keep this ambiguity for the audience about the sex of. And the we didn't character. know, like we didn't oh. know yeah. much, and this and he was, wasn't known. This so 1988. You're talking or 88, 88, 88, 88, I think. So there was no internet, mm -hmm. and you might read the Times review, but that's the only information you had about mm -hmm. the show. So my mom got us tickets, and we go in, and there's this beautiful young Asian woman. And uh, and the play is also just, I mean, it's a remarkable play. But at intermission, uh, B.D. Wong faces the audience and he says, okay, there's going to be a short intermission now. And if you need to go stretch your legs or have a cup of coffee, that's fine. I need to change my clothes. And, of course, nobody leaves. And he transforms yeah. from a woman into a man. He puts on, he takes off the this very elaborate sort of costume and the hair and the makeup and puts on this very smart power suit. And then he just starts swaggering all over the stage in this very masculine way. And I remember it having such an impact on me because I felt like I had just seen a magic trick. It was. It was transformational. And uh, and I think, and, and Biddy Wong was at that point the, the only, he it won the Tony for Best Play. And I think he may be the only Asian American playwright still to have been produced on Broadway. That, that may have changed in recent years. I'm not counting musicals. But... Um, Anyway, it's, a, it's a, uh, unfortunately exceptionally rare, and so uh, we're lucky to have it back. So who's in this cast? Uh, Clive Owen is playing the, the lead role, the English actor. The John Lithgow role. Yeah, the originally John Lithgow. And, uh, and it was really, um, yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see what he does with it. He has a very different energy from, from John Lithgow. Like, you know, John's energy is very cerebral in a way. Um, and so I don't th I don't necessarily think of I think of Clive as a as a sort of a uh, a more uh, active kind of actor, but uh, but we'll s we'll see what what it how it turns out. Who's you know? playing the young the young role? Uh, an actor that I, I, I'm not familiar with. Well, I hope it's another star making turn because I hope it so too. definitely established B.D. Wong. Um, we got to talk about from the from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants, Sponge the musical. <laughs> I, you know, it's 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 weird when you're putting together these lists because you <laughs> never know which ones will actually turn out to be good and which ones. Sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I sent you to that. Right. One. We should mention <laughs> this disappeared in Time Out New York uh, in August. Yeah, this was in August. This was part of our fall preview. It's still up online if you Google, you know, best fall shows Time Out, uh, and uh, everyone should go to Time Out's. A theater website all the time because we have really terrific content uh, and a full list of all of the upcoming yes, Broadway and off Broadway any shows. show you might want to see um, but Spongebob is coming to Broadway uh, it's hard to know what to expect from it it's aimed at uh, sort of younger audiences and family audiences uh, one the interesting thing about it 
uh, well, two interesting things, potentially, you know, encouraging things about it for people who are inherently skeptical of big corporate, you know, products. Yes. Um, one is that the book is by Kyle Jarrow, who is a downtown theater guy from 10 years ago, you know, wrote a lot of really quirky, fun, uh, spiky comic musicals uh, back in the, you know, uh, sort of an underground figure, not yeah, a, not a mainstream not, figure. He's not just, he's not, he's not a boring writer. So I think it has a chance to have, one of the things that's great about the actual cartoon is that it has a, a surprisingly spiky sensibility. Uh, it's very kind of subversive. Of, yeah, it's kind of Looney Tunes-ish that way. It mm. works for kids, but there's also a lot for adults who are watching it to pick up that the kids won't necessarily get. And my hope is that there's some element of that in the musical as well. The score uh, is is a, a collection of original songs written for the show by major pop stars, each of whom have contributed one song. Oh, so yeah. it's like a song by Cyndi Lauper and a song by Aerosmith and a song by Sarah Bareilles and a song by, you know, T.I. and a song by David mm. Bowie. You know, it's There's a, kind of a mixtape yeah, element to definitely. it. Nice. So, uh, you know, that maybe that'll turn out to be terrific and maybe it'll be a disaster. Who knows? But I'm mm. curious. Adam, I'm trying to think of another musical where that was done and the only thing I can think of is working back in the 70s mm. what other musicals uh, have a have a score that that's shared by a number of composers well there are, there are shows that ended up that way because they were reviews <laughs> yeah or they were jukebox musicals like right. um, Saturday Night Fever or Footloose or, or Beautiful you know. yeah like they, they they're from they're by a lot of artists um, and sometimes there are shows where um an artist will come in and write a couple of extra songs for a show. Like Hello Dolly has a couple of songs that aren't by... Really? Yes. Which oh, songs? Um, I want to say uh, Elegance. Huh. Uh, who and, wrote it? Um, it's... Uh, what's his name? Who wrote uh, Funny Girl? Uh, oh, Julie Stein. No, the uh, lyricist. Uh, Carnival. Uh, shoot. <laughs> Why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Once again, we're talking to Adam Feldman, oh theater God, critic. Come on, it's the middle of the day. I saw a show earlier today. I'm running over me. here from that. It's a hundred degrees uh, in here, so his is. brain's uh, a little uh, big. But I never, uh, Joey. Did you have any idea that Hello Dolly wasn't all Jerry Herman? No, I, I'm a bad gay, Adam. When it comes to the theater, are so you? I'm, I'm actually getting an education. You're such a frat guy, <laughs> Bob Merrill. Bob Merrill. Ah, ah. this is um, educational. But uh, but yeah. So there, and, and and another another one or two songs also are. Uh, are Bob Merrill songs. I'm not exactly sure how that happened um, because certainly Jerry can write his own songs. Yeah. Um, but there are other shows um, that uh, that are certainly worth looking forward to. I, you know, two shows that have already played that are coming back that I'm really looking forward to from last season. One show called The Wolves. Hmm. Uh, it's a play by Sarah DeLapp and it's about uh, a, a teenage soccer team of uh, teenage girls. And it was fabulous. It was all sold out last year at the Duke, and they brought it back at Lincoln Center this year. And so if you can see it, go see it. Uh, and I love when that happens because, you know, most of us don't get to see it the first time around. And it's like another chance to see something great. I yeah. totally love it. And it's been happening more and more in recent seasons mm -hmm. where they've had these encore runs of successful but limited run uh, off-Broadway productions. And uh, it's such a gift because so often by the time you get the word out about a great show, it's already too late for most people that you're talking to because it's already been sold out. Uh, so this, so go see The Wolves and also a show called The Band's Visit, which is coming to Broadway. It was at The Atlantic last season and uh, it's a beautiful new musical. It won a lot of awards last year uh, by um, uh, David Yazbek ah. uh, mm. and, uh, and Itamar Moses. And 
It's uh, it's adapted from an Israeli film uh, from 2009, I think, and it's about a uh, an Egyptian band orchestra that gets stranded by accident in an Israeli small Israeli town in the in the desert in the Negev. And hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue, hmm. but bittersweet hijinks, really, more than high sort of middle jinks. Where did it play originally? Uh, it was at the Atlantic Theater Company. Huh. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful, graceful piece of work, and. Uh, I'm excited that it's going to be coming to, to Broadway. Tell us about Meteor Shower, which is going to be Amy Schumer's Broadway debut. Yes, Amy Schumer, and also Keegan-Michael P- uh, Key. I just almost said Peel. Keegan-Michael Key. From Keegan and from, Peel. From, from, from Key and Peel. Uh, and, uh, and two wonderful other actors, also Alan Tudyk and, and Laura Benanti, who are... Amazing. Amazing. And so a, a terrific cast. Steve Martin wrote this play. Um, and uh, he's written some plays before. He wrote a and musicals. And he wrote a musical a couple of seasons ago called Bright Star. I wasn't a huge fan of Bright Star. I will just come right out and say that I didn't think it was a great show, but it had a lot of fans, uh, and it was a very serious show too. I think this is probably going to be more in the mode of uh, uh, Picasso at the Lapin Agile, which is a previous work of his. Uh, but uh, but who knows? You know, th- there's been very little advanced word about this. This kind of show that sells itself based on the the names of the writer and the cast. And so um, I'm excited to see how Amy Schumer does. I mean, to me, this is a real test of an actor. Can you can you carry a Broadway play? Me can you too. Actually, especially up against Laura Benanti and, and these <laughs> other amazing actors. Yeah. And, and Keegan, it turns out, uh, is is terrific on stage, too. He was just in Hamlet at the public on uh, this summer. Adam, you have almost no musicals on your list. Is it because this crop coming up is so poor or well, no, because you're dead inside? Very <laughs> <laughs> I love musicals, and I would, I would happily put more musicals on the list. There aren't very many new musicals coming up right now in the fall season. Most of them are probably going to be in the spring. There's also a bit of a, a bottleneck right now for the bigger Broadway theaters because there are a lot of long-running shows. Right, they're not and going anywhere. Yeah, and that means that the bigger musicals that want to be in these 1,500-seat theaters don't have anywhere to go. And with they can avoid it they don't want to be in these 900 seat straight house theaters you know so um so they're 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 spongebob and there's also a revival of once on this island oh you know i never i I really don't know that show well except that they always play music from it on sirius xm on broadway and it seems very joyous it's it's a very joyous show it's it it also has its uh, sad moments it's a fable um but uh it has a you know it's from 1991 i want to say and uh, it's it's certainly uh, it's very it's a very colorful and exciting show. And Leah Salonga is going to be in it. And so, love you know, her, it, the original Miss I think Saigon. A lot, yeah, but but new musicals. It's we're a bit short on new big new musicals this uh, this season, which makes me sad because I'm a big musical theater fag. I am convinced that we will have more of them in the spring, including uh, Frozen, which is coming up. Yeah, which I have mixed feelings. About. And Mean Girls. That I'm excited I'm for. I'm very excited. Who wrote girls. that? Uh, Tina Fey is doing the book. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love and, it. Uh, and the lyrics are by Nell Benjamin, who I, 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 I love. Uh, she co-wrote uh, Legally Blonde. Once again, you can read the best fall shows to see on Broadway and beyond by Adam Feldman on Time Out New York's website. What's the website? I don't have it written down. Uh, timeout.com slash New York. Yes. It's not uh, an easy one. No, if you just Google it's a little bit like DerekandRomaine.com slash If you, if you Google Time Out Theater with an E-R... Then yes, will, it'll take the you to English the English Because the R-E is our counterparts in London. Theatre. Oh, Theatre. Adam, in the time remaining, I want to ask you about a recent uh, controversy in the theater that struck my interest. And uh, it's about um, 
the casting of Evita at North Shore Music Theater. You're trying to get me in trouble. No, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the story because I think it touches on so many things that are kind of in the culture and in the ethos right now. Tell us what happened with this uh, regional production of Evita. Well, you know, I haven't, following, I haven't been following it uh, all that closely, so I can't give you the, the names and places and details. My understanding is that a, an actress was cast in the leading role of Evita, uh, playing Eva Perón, the Argentinian dictator's wife. Uh, and uh, the controversy involved the fact that she is not her, the actress herself is not of Latina origin, ethnic uh, origin. Mm-hmm. And so this touches on a lot of very complicated issues that are very uh, sensitive to a lot of people. And we recently on Broadway went through a related issue um, involving casting, uh, I would not even necessarily a related. I mean, sort of related, uh, involving the casting of Great Comet and sens- uh, yes, the Great Comet of 1812, the replacing of an African American actor with uh, a, a, a white actor. Uh, so these things are really touch a lot of sensitive points for a lot of people. Uh, part of the complication in the specific case, well, you know, it, it, I think a lot of this started out as a reaction against blackface, and then it has expanded gradually out in various directions to greater sensitivity in the casting of Asian Americans and Latino Americans and gay people and trans people. Um, now, taken to a, its sort of logical extreme, it would, it would kind of mean that only people, you know, people could only play themselves. That's or right. Or can only write themselves. And no one, I think, wants it to go to that place. But at the same time, you don't want to c- keep having a situation where uh, people of color or of uh, different orientations are excluded from roles that they would naturally be best. Right, and what's complicated about Evita is that the real Evita Peron and Juan Peron are not people of color. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. Argentinians are, are mostly of European descent. It's, it's Argentina makes it makes it more complicated. I used to, my, my ex-boyfriend is Argentinian, and his father was Ashkenazi Jewish and his mother was Italian, but everyone just assumed that he was ethnically Latino because he's from Argentina and speaks Spanish. Uh, and, and so Eva Peron... Part of the complication is, you know, she's Basque. She's like her parents were Basque, which uh, is a, a which a is a region region of Spain, Spain. Uh, and. Uh, you know, so uh, and and that's true of a lot of Argentina. There's huge European communities who happen to end up in Argentina. A lot of Nazis. You know, yeah, lots of Nazis. <laughs> a lot of ex-Nazis wound up lots in Argentina. Of Nazis. They were like, "Welcome." So it's sort of like you know, if if your idea of ethnic authenticity is to cast you know an actress from Mexico as Eva Perón because she's from Argentina, even though she was ethnically not what we would culturally conceive of necessarily as Latina. It raises all of these actual sort of wrinkles and complications uh, in this specific case. But I think people are responding to it in a more general way because there are so few leading roles for Latina actresses that when one seems to pop up and it isn't filled with Latina actress, people uh, are upset about it. Right. That's sort of the bigger issue is that is to create more opportunities for actors of color. And also, we don't want to see blackface. We don't want to see yellowface. That's something I think we've moved beyond as as a... If I may include myself in the theater culture, which I am not a member of. Um, But yeah, I mean, you don't want to see Jonathan Price playing the engineer in Miss Saigon. No, and that would never fly today. But the interesting thing about the Miss Saigon protest, because that was the progenitor of all of this stuff, is that uh, although Cameron McIntosh, the producer of Miss Saigon in 1991, even though he buckled down, doubled down, and refused to let the protesters change the casting, and Jonathan Price did end up playing that part on Broadway, once Jonathan Price was out of the show, they always cast it with, a, with an Asian actor. And so ultimately, the, the protests were successful, even though the first round of them 
didn't seem successful, hmm. they really made a, a very strong and, and positive impact on the casting of that show in the long term. Adam Feldman, hmm. theater critic for Time Out New York. We're going to have to leave it there. How can people follow you on social media? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Feldman Adam. F-E-L-D-M-A-N. Not to be confused with Adam Sank. Adam, thank you. <laughs> Next week, we have Kevin Israel and Mike Sicoli, two incredibly hot straight guys who are also comedians. We'll ask them how they deal with gay men hitting on them constantly. And by gay men, I mean me. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Adam Sank. Follow Adam Feldman at Feldman Adam. Thank you for listening to The Ass. Have a great week. And thank you, Joey DeGrandis, for sitting in with us again. My pleasure, as always. Have a great week, bitches. Bye, all.